Oh, do we have a fun show in store for all of you today? We have one of the greatest sideline reporters of all time joining me for the entire episode of Outkick the Morning. Get ready, I'm going to pick her brain like never before. Do you know who I'm talking about? Wait a few seconds and you will. Outkick the Morning starts right now. Hello, everybody. Good morning. Happy Tuesday. Happy Thanksgiving Eve. Eve, we're almost there. It's almost time to stuff our faces. I know I cannot wait. Uh, but anyways, welcome into Outkick the Morning. I'm Charlie Arnold. Uh, we have a very exciting guest joining us for the entire duration of Outkick the Morning. Uh, someone who I have known, uh, I would say more from afar, for the entirety of my sports broadcasting career. So I'm super excited to be joined by her. We're going to get up close and personal. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, one of the most well-known sideline reporters of all time, Miss Michelle Tafoya. Hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to be joined by you this morning. It's a pleasure. We've never actually, I don't think, had the opportunity to really sit down and chat yet. We have not. So I'm looking forward to it, Charlie. Okay, awesome. Well, I mean, obviously you have worked for countless networks, but both best well known for your time reporting on ABC's and ESPN's Monday Night Football and then... Uh, NBC Sunday Night Football. So I'm sure if anyone knows anything about football, they definitely know who you are. They definitely recognize your face. Uh, so let's start right there with football because we just had a killer game last night. It was a Super Bowl rematch. Uh, we saw the Eagles victorious, which I don't know, probably depends who you ask whether or not you were expecting that a final score of 21 to 17, uh, making the Eagles only the third team to start consecutive seasons with nine and one records in the past 30 years. So Michelle, I, I know you were up late because I was following you on Twitter. I saw you were up till like the wee hours of the morning. So I have to imagine you were tuning into this game. What were your thoughts there? You know, I saw most of it on the plane. I was flying to where I am now. And uh, then I, I kind of was one of those people who thought, ah, Kansas City's got this in the bag. And then what do you know? What happened? <laughs> uh, this is, it's an exciting time to be an Eagles fan, right? And I've had people... It, post to me on X today that, ah, they're overrated, uh, that, you know, the, the fact that they, their record is what it is, it's inflated, they're not as good as they appear. Well, I, I don't know. Um, it, it's hard to win a game in the NFL, let alone win a bunch of games in the NFL. It's just difficult. Mm -hmm. So anyone who wants to kind of poo-poo that and say the record isn't what it indicates, sometimes that can be true. I thought it was a really good showing against a very good football team last night. So I'm taking the I'm taking the Eagles very seriously. And now I will say at the very before the season started, I went on one of the shows and made my Super Bowl prediction. And I actually saw these two teams running it back at the Super Bowl again this year. Of course, we're only just past the midway point of the season. Uh, but have you started formulating any thoughts as far as who you think we're going to see in the Super Bowl again uh, this time in Las Vegas? You know what? After many, many, many years, I have realized how futile that is. It's fun to talk about. It's great chit chat <laughs> and all of that, but it is useless because every time we think we know, we don't know. So we 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 realize how little we know. And you know, you, you're one Joe Burrow injury away from everything blowing up in your face. But there are some really interesting teams this go around and. It's 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 odd, you know. No longer are we just focusing on 
the Chiefs and the Niners and the the Patriots. This is a different era now. You've got these young quarterbacks coming up. You've got you got to look at Jacksonville. You got to look at Texas. There are Houston. There are a number of teams you can look at and say they might have a shot. It, it's it's very often yeah. about getting hot at the right time late in the season. So it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And I know from your perspective, because this is at least how it resonates with me, I can be watching sports, but I'm also very tuned in to the broadcasting aspect because that's my craft. So not only am I picking apart the game, I'm also picking apart the commentary, the reports on the sideline. You know, that's something I'm really paying deep attention to. Uh, You have been in that position for years and years. Uh, You've now stepped away. But when you watch the games now, where does your mind go as far as how the, I guess, broadcasting has started evolving and the different types of things you're seeing. Do you like it? Do you not like it? What goes through your mind? It's funny. Um, one of my best friends is Drew Esikoff, who is still the director of Sunday Night Football. He's a Hall of Fame uh, sports director. And I tend to watch the games and say, where's the replay? Get it. That replay needs to be there faster. Where is it? You know, or you can tell this is a, a D game because they don't have enough cameras to give you the best angle. So I'm often watching for the pictures. And that's just something that you get used to over years and years. You're just, I've been spoiled by the best producer and director, uh, Al, Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth, John Madden before Chris, totally, totally spoiled. And the, the bar was set so high. So it's, oh, there's an oldie, but a goodie. Wow. Um, wow. So I love it. Yeah. <laughs> look at the short hair. My gosh. So amazing. Anyway, it, you know, it, it, there are so many things that I watch, um, you know, and I certainly listen to the commentators uh, and, and there's definitely some good ones that are coming up through the ranks. Was there anyone when you were you were still on the sidelines that you were super close with, whether it be from your network or other networks, someone that might still be on the air or not? That I was super close. Oh, Al Michaels. Uh, he and I are very, very good friends. Um, and like I said, Drew Esikoff, uh, our director, Fred Gadelli, our producer. But Al and I were tight. We worked the NBA together. We worked the NFL. I, wow. I think he is responsible for bringing me on to Monday Night Football when he did. And wouldn't you know it? I get hired on Monday Night Football. I've been trying to have a baby for like years, and I get pregnant the second year I'm on Monday Night Football. Right uh, after trying and trying and trying, not only do I get pregnant my second season, and I'm raring to go. It's fine. We deliver in season. I don't care. But I, suddenly my doctor said, you can't travel anymore for a variety of reasons. And it was so devastating to me. But oh my uh, gosh. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, yeah, I couldn't travel for the rest of the, that, that season. So um, we did a and little what thing. Point, what point had, in the season were you at this point? Oh, what, was it, it was too early. Like, I probably did most of it. Or? I probably did. Oh. Yeah, most of it I had to miss. And so and it was the final season of Monday Night Football on ABC before it moved to ESPN. So it was devastating. And then I came back just in time for the final game in New York on that uh, that final season. And about Mm -hmm. five minutes before air, I started puking my brains out. I had gotten sick (gasps) and I couldn't go on the air. So yeah, there are a lot of behind the scenes uh, things that that have happened, but... um, but Al Michaels is a true champion of mine, and so is Fred Gadelli. Oh, the beauty of being a woman, huh, Michelle? Which is a conversation I'll get into uh, get into with you in a little bit. But 
on the subject of Al Michaels and doing your job, uh, I know Al Michaels has been one of the very uh, vocal, um, I guess, uh, one of the most vocal as far as talking about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. He's like, we are not here <laughs> to do pop culture reports. <laughs> we are here to talk about the game. Michelle, if you were yeah. still on the sidelines, I mean, knowing how much everybody is going insane for these two, I mean, it is, for a while, it was overtaking I feel like the importance of the game in some people's eyes. Yeah. Would this be something that you would focus your reports on or would you probably go the Al Michaels direction and be like, no, this is not why I'm here and I am not touching this? You know what? I would only go in that direction if one of them would speak to me uh, on the phone before the game or in person before the game and I had a way to advance the story. But just to get cutaway after cutaway of Taylor Swift in the suites, I think yeah. is going to get really tiring for a, for a lot of fans. Uh, and I would say hardcore football fans. At the same time, this is really interesting because you're drawing in some new fans that might never have watched the NFL before because all of a sudden Taylor's involved, you know? And it's this romance and it's we're watching it unfold before our very eyes. And every move now that each of them makes away from whether it's her concert or whether it's the NFL – Everyone is watching them. It has become this sort of national obsession. Nothing wrong with that. But when you're doing a game, the game is the thing. And so, you know, unless you see Travis Kelsey blowing kisses to the to up to Taylor, it, you, you've kind of <laughs> got to just you have to focus on the game. I, early on, I'll tell you, I was really bored with this story very quickly. Um, I, so it's good that there's been a little breathing room with her attendance and and you know, not always seeing her. I think 17 cutaways of Taylor Swift and Brittany Mahomes during a game is is a little too much for my taste. Yeah, yeah uh, I can totally understand why you would feel that way uh, and why so many people feel that way. Uh, you mentioned that this was a story that you wouldn't touch unless you got some sort of additional information before the game. Spoke to them on the phone personally. Uh, well, this rings a bell uh, in terms of recent events with what we've been hearing from Carissa Thompson, also a longtime sports broadcaster. And she had mentioned on a podcast, she actually said she mentioned it even uh, further back than this, but she reiterated it recently on a podcast that she had a habit when she would be on the sidelines of falsifying information that she would get from coaches or players in order to craft her halftime reports, saying if she wasn't able to actually speak to them, she would just make something up. She later tried to clarify, oh, you know, no, I would just actually take what they would tell me earlier in the game and rework it a little bit, knowing that it probably would have gone in that same direction. Anyways, a lot of people weren't buying it. Uh, it was, even if it is true, it's a horribly stupid thing to say out loud. Michelle, mm -hmm. when you heard that, what went through your mind and what kind of damage does this do to the reputations of all the sideline reporters that are out there actually doing their job and making sure all of their information is 100% accurate? To your first question, what went through my mind? Initially, I looked at it and I thought, for some reason, I think she's not going to pay any kind of substantial price for this. Um, I, I, that was my gut reaction. And I thought she probably should. They might want to take her off the air for a couple of weeks just because this is this is damage control. They didn't see it. Amazon didn't see it that way. Fox didn't see it that way. That's fine. That's totally their prerogative. But I was disappointed. I know Carissa a little bit. A really nice person. 
but this is not something that you do. And as you said, to say it out loud, I think where she really hurt herself was when she said, I said this earlier and I didn't get fired then. So I'll say it again. I made stuff up. You can't walk that back. Mm -hmm. You can't recraft that. The fact that she said, I said it before and I didn't get fired indicates to me that she knew it was not a good idea to say out loud what she had done or even to do what she had done. So for her to come back and say, no, 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 I chose my words incorrectly. Well, wait a minute. You you just said I didn't get fired the first time I admitted it, so I probably won't get fired the second time I admit it. You cannot do this. You cannot do this in journalism. You cannot make stuff up. I don't care what the circumstance is. Now, it, it, she actually used the phrase, I made things up. Um, yeah, she did. So she used that phrase. So I, I don't know how you sort of put that toothpaste back in the tube. I feel for her. I know she's going through hell right now, but it's kind of one of those things is an unforced error. She brought it on herself. You can't do it. And and I would point out that she's on Amazon. The owner of Amazon is Jeff Bezos, who also happens to own the Washington Post, which holds itself up as a newspaper of record, as a bastion yeah, of journalism. Yeah, you're right. So, it, you know, I'm just not sure what kind of message that sends to the rest of journalism. And people are so tired, Charlie. People are so tired of people not being accountable for the things that they do and say. And so I, I think that there should have been some accountability here. Um, but you just, you, you cannot do that. There's no reason to do this. If you don't have a report at halftime, don't file one. Tell the producer, I got nothing. Let's wait until I got something down here on the field. I got, I got nothing to report for you. Yeah, it seems like in a lot of senses, journalism has lost its integrity. Uh, like you just mentioned with the Washington Post, Carissa Thompson's recent comments. Uh, it almost has taken a twist where now it's like becoming, even Carissa, it seems like for her, it, it's more like a she's embracing like this pop culture personality. Like when she's on the podcast with Aaron Andrews and they're having girl talk all the time, which is super fun. Uh, but I think it needs to remain separate. You know, that type, those types of conversations uh, where you're getting more into just like the personal like aspects of your life versus uh, the professional aspect where you're on the field and expected to be talking about things from an objective point of view. And it seems like now more than ever, we're losing that distinction and you're even seeing like social media stars now becoming the faces of, you know, what used to be serious journalistic projects. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's you know, for someone, for me, like I, I took the traditional route. I started in local news. I worked my way up. Uh, I went on to work, you know, the free SPN. I came here. I, I had a variety of different jobs, you know, and I know you took the same traditional route. Uh, but it's interesting now to see the landscape of journalism and, and where it's going. And in some cases, it's actually it's actually a bit of a stretch to even use the term journalism in its purest form. You know, yeah. this objective observation, give you the facts, let the viewer decide. So and yes, it is. It's cult of personality. It's uh, who's going to get clicks, who's going to get hits. We see now these yeah. different studies that show how many people are getting their news from TikTok influencers. You know, this is it, it's. It's, I don't know what the solution is because it seems to me that every time that someone claims they have a story and they've got the facts to back it up, 
if those facts, if they never present them, Adam Schiff in the whole Trump thing, and that's not saying I'm this big yeah. Trump fan. I'm just saying Adam Schiff came out, kept saying, I've got the goods. I've got the goods. Never presented the goods. So where's his responsibility and accountability in this? Heck, if you can lie yeah. on the floor of the Senate of the United States of America, you can lie anywhere. And it, it seems to me people just don't care enough to hold people accountable for it anymore. I don't know why that is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I also feel like now you just constantly see, let's say someone blasts something out on X and they're like, oh, breaking news or sources tell me. And then like people will, you know, latch onto it for a while and then it'll never really go anywhere. And then it's almost yeah. like, oh, oh, well, you know, maybe that was real. Maybe it wasn't. And then people just forget about it. It's it's very bizarre. Uh, the world yeah. that news is, uh, you know, the direction news has gone in. Um, but something that's interesting to me is how you pointed out, Carissa said this however long ago, didn't get fired, so she felt comfortable enough to say it again. Uh, it's interesting how some people can get away with saying certain things, yet conservatives, like yourself, try to be open about your opinions, and you either receive massive backlash, or you just don't feel comfortable in the first place to even open your mouth and say the things that are on your mind. Uh, talk to me about what it was like being an undercover conservative in the sports world. <laughs> yeah, undercover. Um, yeah, there was a tweet that I liked once in the wake of the whole George Floyd thing in 2020. I received a phone call from someone in my company that said, could you just unlike that tweet? And um, it was a tweet that was supportive of the police. So I unliked it, I did that. Um, they asked me very politely, look, in my case, you're on the number one show in primetime on Sunday Night Football. It is NBC's most valuable asset. And when you're on that show, responsibility comes along with that, right? Responsibility comes with that. And I agreed to that and I signed up for it. So I knew there were certain things that I couldn't say. Um, I was often asked to speak at political events in my in my home state, and I would always ask permission to do that. And they would sort of say, you know, what's the nature of it? Okay, go have fun. Be careful and have fun. And so they did allow me to do those things away from NBC. And oh, I appreciated okay. that. Yeah, that that was allowed. But then on your your social media platform, it was a little bit different. You had to be careful. But I did notice that those, I'm, t I'm not just talking about people that I worked with at NBC, reporters around the sports uh, universe could say things that were a little more liberal, a little more politically correct, whatever. And there were no repercussions. And I think if I yeah. had said anything from my viewpoint, there would have been repercussions. That is one of the reasons, Charlie, that is probably the main reason I left that job, which I adored. I love that job, but there's too much going on. There's so much I wanted to say. I couldn't say it when I was still attached to that platform, you don't want to draw controversy to the number one show on television. I got that. I understood that. So I had to leave and I saw people afraid to speak. And I just thought, you know what? I, I don't want to be one of those people who's afraid. I don't want to be one of those people who's got restrictions of any kind. I got to go say what I got to say. And, and honestly, that landscape got to the point where I just, I, I had to do it, it, it or I was going to go a little insane. 
Yeah, and it's so respectable. I mean, now you see other people following in your same footsteps. I mean, I would say I've followed in your footsteps. Uh, Sage Steele has followed in your footsteps. You know, a lot of people are sick of being silenced or feeling like they can't be free to express their thoughts uh, because of repercussions or backlash. Did you, once you made the transition, you decided, which by the way, I, I completely understand how difficult a decision it would have been to leave the position you were in, which was in terms of sports, I mean, one of the most coveted roles in, it, in the entire space. I mean, to be the sideline reporter on Sunday Night Football, it doesn't get much bigger than that as a reporter. Uh, so I understand probably being torn, uh, but ultimately, you know, not feeling like you can be yourself uh, is the most important thing. When you did walk away and people found out for what reason, and you started opening your mouth more and being more vocal about how you felt about certain things, did you get any backlash or did you lose any mm. friends that you thought you were really close with in sports? I don't think I lost any, anyone that I was particularly close with. I think the people that I was closest with knew where I stood on the issues. Uh, there were certainly, certainly some knives came out from whether it was, you know, critics, whether I'm talking about like people who wrote about sports journalism, uh, people who wrote about sports, wrote some really malicious, icky stuff. <laughs> I'll put it nicely. Um, and without even interviewing me, you know, that's the other problem that we have is that people are willing and, and it's everyone's right. Uh, more speech is better. I've I've always believed that more speech is better. So right to your heart's content. But maybe, maybe you want to interview or question the person about whom you are writing. Maybe you want to give them a call and just say, hey, do I have this straight? Am I looking at this the right way? Yeah. Am I, I heard you say this. Do you want to clarify anything like that at all? But I think the minute I appeared on Tucker Carlson's show when it was still on Fox, people decided something about me that, that they that they wanted to decide that they chose to decide. Okay, that's your prerogative. Mm -hmm. I knew doing this, Charlie. I better have a damn thick skin, or it wasn't going to be easy. So I have a damn thick skin. Well, I imagine you already had thick skin because I know being a woman uh, working Sunday Night Football, you probably were uh, used to all different types of comments coming your way when social media, especially, started blowing up. Uh, it's just being a woman on television is never like truly the easiest job to take on. Uh, so I imagine you've had a thick skin this entire time. It's only gotten thicker uh, after you've been forced to say things that honestly, Michelle, aren't so controversial. Uh, one of them being the fact that biological men should not be competing against women in sports. It still blows my mind every single day that I have this conversation with someone that this is even a topic that's deemed controversial mm -hmm. because it truly is not. It's scientifically backed. Uh, it's one of the most fundamental understandings that we've had for all of eternity. Uh, isn't, it, isn't it just so strange uh, that when you say these type of things, you isolate people and, and, and people look at you and say, oh my gosh, how could you say such a thing? You are a bigot. Yeah. Yeah, you're transphobic and you're immediately transphobic. Um, it's, it's been really interesting to talk to friends of mine who are gay and who are saying now, you know, I kind of wish that T wasn't part of the LGB, you know, TQRST, yeah. uh, that they, they feel as though it doesn't, that that whole grouping of all these kinds of people dilutes what, who they are and what they are. 
And I find that really, really interesting. And I've been fascinated to hear about it. Look, I don't care what your lifestyle is. I don't, I honestly don't. I, I, I care about human beings, but I also care about women. So he, people who say, you know, ah, no one's getting hurt by this. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. Emma Wyant yeah. didn't win a national title because Leah Thomas was in the pool. That's, that's what's going on. There's also one other woman who didn't even get to make the final because Leah Thomas was in the pool. So someone who could have had a shot at maybe a bronze or this didn't have that shot. So yeah, there are victims in here. And by the way, we just got through, wasn't it a year or so ago where we were like, woohoo, title nine turns 50. This is a great day. We women have come so far yeah, remember that. for women, you know, you know, we made divisions for women's sports for women to have more opportunities. And, and, and what, what are we supposed to do now? We're supposed to step aside for biological men who identify as women. I, I it's just crazy. I'll tell you something. I had a, an evening recently where I had people around me, all women ranging from the age of 86 to 15. Okay. Family gathering. Wow. And all the women, all us girls sat around the table, scratching our heads about this from the, the, all the generations, my daughter's 15. My, my aunt is 86. We are sitting there at this table going, why the hell is this controversial? What's going on? And the young girls are just sitting there big eyed. They're both athletes. These two young high school girls looking at us like, I just don't get why this is happening. (laughs) So, and all of us saying, we don't get it either, but we're going to do our damnedest to protect your right to compete against in a fair competition. Fairness. What happened to fairness? Everyone asked for fairness and equitable and equality, but not in this case. It's very strange. Yeah. And it's really sad too, especially when you look at the younger generation who I'm sure a lot of them actually do believe in the separation of of men and women in sports, uh, regardless of how you identify, but they can't say it out loud because a lot of their generation has already been brainwashed into believing that trans rights are above all else. And uh, it's really sad because now they're kind of being forced to, or bullied rather, into silence. And I just feel like that's something that, you know, as a mother, you probably understand more than anyone else. Is there anything else that you see really affecting um, the lives of, of your son and your daughter? Well, I think it's really tough to be a, a, a boy these days. I have an 18-year-old son. He's going to head yeah. off to college next year. And it's difficult. You have to arm them with a lot of stuff that I don't think, for instance, my older brother had to be armed with when he went off into the world. And you really do, it's, it's, it, it, to a certain extent, you're walking on eggshells. A lot of it is just plain and simple being respectful. But here's the thing, Charlie, people are looking for you to trip up. People are looking for you to make a mistake. People are looking to be offended. And when that's the case, you've got mm-hmm. to really, I think that's why people now are going into these little silos where they feel the only places they necessarily feel safe to speak about certain topics because they know the people in their own silo, in their little world, are not going to judge them, are not going to sue them, are not going to accuse them of any kind of bigotry. So otherwise, it's like anyone, you've got, you, you have to understand that we are all walking through minefields right now when it comes to language, when it comes to all of this stuff. And this is why 
so many people won't speak out. They don't think it's worth the trouble. And it's it's hard to blame them, right? It's hard to say, oh, come on, it's easy. It is. Um, so I, that's another reason that I felt compelled to, to come out and and sort of be willing to speak on behalf of a lot of people who are too afraid yeah. to say things. Yeah, you, you can't imagine how many people I have coming up to me regularly Oh my gosh, I love what you post on social media. I love the things you're saying. And I'm like, you do? <laughs> because these are the people that never are vocal themselves. So it always just right. surprises me when constantly I have people coming up to me, whether they're close friends or acquaintances or complete strangers. I'm like, well, if all of you feel this way, if you all would say something, we probably would be in a much different place than we find ourselves in right now. Um, but I, I feel you on point. all that. It's very sad, but uh, something... Yeah, something exciting that you're up to right now is you have put together a documentary. It's called Triangle Park. It debuts tomorrow, which is Thanksgiving Eve, in every city that has an NFL team. And uh, this is so exciting for you. Tell me about the documentary. Yeah, I, I certainly, you're giving me way too much credit. I wish I had put this together. Alan yeah. Forrest, who's an award-winning producer, director, writer, uh, it did a film on Chuck Lavelle, the keyboardist for the Rolling Stones, which won a bunch of awards. And when I found out he was doing this project, Triangle Park, about the first ever NFL game, and he asked me if I'd like to be involved, I jumped. I'm like, yeah. And, and the thing about this film is it's a story I didn't know. Here I've covered the NFL all this time. People that we have in the film didn't know that the first game ever was played in this park in Dayton, Ohio, called Triangle Park back in 1920. And uh, so we, wow. I, where I did help was I round, helped gather other voices. Chris Collinsworth, Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, Larry Fitzgerald, Ben Roethlisberger, Tony Dungy, Kirk Herbstreit, oh um, you know, Sean McVay, Co Cooper Cup, Eric Dickerson, Joe Theismann. We helped gather these voices. Susie Calder. We helped gather these voices together to help tell the story of this first game, the characters, the players, what the time was like. This was the year that women got the vote a hundred years ago. It's kind of amazing when you look at the scheme of time and you think, yeah. wow, it took that long for women to get the vote. But uh, you can see- Oh, look, it's narrated by you too. It is, I am the narrator and uh, Chuck Lavelle did the music. Uh, it's beautiful. And there are just a, a bunch of artifacts and stories and, remembrances of this game that really started it all. It, it really did. I, I, I put this post out on X. Who were the first two teams to face off in the NFL? And, and no one could answer because or they go, oh, no, let's yeah. see the Browns and the, you know, the Browns and the Packers. Like, no, no. So it's, yeah. it's a lot of fun. It's for NFL buffs, for football buffs. It's great, great information. Great uh, it's just, it's a really nice package piece. So I hope people will go see it at AMC theaters tomorrow night at seven, whatever NFL market you live in, find your theater. Yeah. Amazing. I definitely want to see it. This looks awesome. And I feel like uh, we are long overdue for a good new sports documentary movie. Uh, it feels like there hasn't been one in a while and what better time than the holidays, right? Like people are revolving. A lot of families revolve their Thanksgiving plans around football, so this is yes, perfect timing, uh, and I know this yeah. is, and I know this is at AMC theaters, and it will continue for how long of a time will it be in theaters? Well, this this out? is a one, this is a one night only thing. So order up your tickets and go mm. see it now. Now that's not to say 
that it won't return in other theaters later on. And ultimately it will be available for streaming once the NFL playoff season kicks in. But we want people to go see it in the theater because it's so beautiful to to see it on a big screen is, is really the way to do it. Um, So you're going to hear a lot of fun stories. Um, It's really what's fun about it is we take this game, this first a hundred years ago, and we tie in all these current day stories uh, from from all of these people that I mentioned before who who talk to you yeah. about why they love this game. Uh, but I, I'm telling you, none of us really knew the true story behind it. And it's a lot of fun to 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 meet these players and to learn about them. Amazing. Well, while you did not create it, like I originally stated, without you, Michelle, The documentary in no way, shape, or form would be nearly as special because you have gathered some of the greatest voices in the world of football. And obviously, as the narrator, your voice also very important. So I just want to say congratulations. Uh, I hope tomorrow is a smashing success, as I'm sure it will be. And I just want to say thank you so much for taking 30 minutes out of your morning to spend with me and open up about everything because it's been so interesting. It's been a blast, Charlie. Thanks so much for having me. Outkick the morning will be right back after a short break. Stay tuned. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Absolutely. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, okay, everybody. That was so amazing. Uh, from Emmy Award-winning reporter four-time to making a documentary, which, again, you can see in theaters tomorrow Thanksgiving Eve, AMC theaters, anywhere that there is an NFL team. So that would be 30 different cities around the country. Hopefully you're close or in one of them. Uh, And you can go check out Triangle Park, which sounds like it's going to be absolutely incredible. And on that note, everybody, I've got some uh, dinner planning to do. So I've got to get out of here. But we are back tomorrow for the actual Thanksgiving Eve edition of Outkick the Morning, uh, where then we will send you on your way to celebrate the holidays, watch all of the best football that the weekend has to offer. And it's going to be a good one. So everybody, please subscribe. Make sure you're signed up for those alerts. Like, comment under this video. And you can find me on social media at Charlie on TV. And until tomorrow, have a wonderful day. And I will see you then.